Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Spoiler Alert. I'm your host, Emily Renshaw, and today we are reviewing the second book in the Betrothed series by Kira Cass, The Betrayed. Sit back, relax, and let's begin. Okay, so fun fact, usually for these episodes, I will write out a script or an outline of some sorts just so I have points to talk about and I know what I'm going to say. I just finished this book. And I am the most excited I have been to review a book in a while. And so I just had to get into it. So before we go into the story of the second book, I'm going to give a couple reminders from the first book. So to start, I'll remind you our main character's name is Hollis Bright, but now Hollis Eastoff because she married Silas. Hollis is leaving her home kingdom of Karoa to go to Isolte because her family or her new husband and her family basically have all been murdered. And she was told to stay behind because she kind of became the head of the household where she lived. But she realized she didn't want to lose her family anymore because her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law were still alive. So she went back to Isolte with them so that she would still be with family. And to keep them on this journey and to kind of protect them, her husband's cousin Eaton was there. And he kind of took them from Karoa to Isolte. And if we remember anything about Eaton, he is kind of very rude to Hollis and is very, he's very sassy. That's all I could think when reading the books is he's a very sassy man, but I love it. It's so funny. So we remember Eaton. And then we also have King Jameson, who I'm going to go ahead and say, spoiler alert, he's a dirtbag. And I was wrong to ever even want to give him any sort of a redemption arc in my brain terrible character and you'll find out why in a little bit but king jameson had was basically super in love with hollis and hollis loved silas which is why she went off and married him and we thought that king jameson was cool with it but again we find out what happens later and i'm very still upset about that anyway so king jameson wants hollis to come back but she she doesn't she goes to isolate And now where we pick up in The Betrayed is Hollis is living with Eaton's family. I'm going to call Eaton E because it's hard for me to say that. So E is Eaton. So she is living with E and his family and her mother and stepsister, which she calls them mother and sister now that they're married because she feels like they're real family, which is fair enough. And I'm going to go ahead and say we're jumping into The Betrayed. I don't really have an overview. If you listen to the episode before this, you get the whole story from The Betrayed. So let's look into the story of The Betrayed. So we open the book and we're with Hollis and her family traveling to Isolte to live with E's family. E's family name is, they're the Northcott family and they are a descendant of one of the siblings to King Quentin's ancestors. So they have a stake in the claim to the throne and if you remember from the last book, the king was killing off families to stake his claim to the throne was going to be permanent because no one could take over if he killed off all the families. And so the Northcots are, I believe, other than the ladies from the Eastock family, they are the last family living that could even come close to staking a claim to the throne. So at this point, they have made it to the Northcots estate, and they're trying to figure out what they can do to stay safe from being killed like the Eastock family was, and what they can do to stay in the good side of King Quentin. And so they're living through their life now at Northcott household. And so if we remember, E is very snarky with Hollis. He doesn't really like Hollis because of where she's from. She's Karoan and he's Iselton. And they very much fit the, the generic stereotypes for their people. 
And so he's very mean to Hollis, and that's something to keep in mind as we go throughout the rest of this book, because he is a big character now. And Hollis is doing her best because she has married into the Eastoff family, and she fully believes she's part of this family. She's like, I am married to Silas, even if he's not here anymore. Lady Eastoff, or she calls her mother now, is basically her mom, because her parents were killed at the wedding, just like her husband was, and Scarlet's her sister. They are a family. And E's parents, Lord and Lady Northcott, love Hollis and they want her to stay in the family and they consider her part of the family. And in the book, they are like, just call us Aunt Giovanna and I cannot remember what the dude's name is. So Lord and Lady Northcott are now the aunt and uncle to Hollis. Like they fully open their arms to her and let her come and be part of their family. And E's butt hurt by this. E doesn't like that. And I don't know if it's just because of how he thinks about the people of Corella or if he's just very anti-Hollis. I don't know what it is, but everything smooths out eventually. A little spoiler alert, they're fine. But they're living with Lord and Lady Northcott and Hollis is now in a position that she's never been in before because she came from a line of not royalty but she realized she lived a very privileged life when she's living with the Northcots because she has to learn how to lace her dresses on her own she has to fix her fire on her own in her room because it's colder in Iselton so they have to stay warmer they light fires at night and she realized that she's kind of lonely too. Even though she has a family here, she still feels lonely and she'll often end up going and spending the night in Scarlet's room when they're together. So she's trying to adjust to this less than glamorous life, if you will. And so she's going through life right now and she's kind of hurting too because the servants and maids at the Northcott's estate are very shut off to her. And closed off towards her and she can't figure out why because she's been nothing but nice to them and she does she always does her best to be very friendly and build relationships with people and that's why obviously the Northcott and the Eastoff families love her they wouldn't have accepted her into the family if they didn't so she's really confused and she's kind of hurt and she keeps just feeling very lonely because her mom and dad are gone and she misses them dearly. And her husband that she was married to for all of an hour is gone. And she was so excited for the future with that. Before she left Karoa though, she did have time to settle her peace. And she went and was like, I'm letting you go. I understand this like at his gravestone. But it was still very sad for her, obviously, losing your husband, being newlywed. And that's a whole thing. Now, if you remember, everyone died. I'm changing tracks a little bit. Everyone at the wedding died other than Lady Eastoff, Hollis, and Scarlet. And so Scarlet was in the room where the people were killing her, not her, but the people around her, and where all the murder was going on, but she got thrown out. And so throughout this part of the book, she continues to remember different things that happened while she was in there. She's remembering different pieces of the puzzle, I guess you would call it, from what happened during the attack. And that's important to remember later as we build up to the end of this book. Hollis is adjusting. And the family is accepting her, but E is not and the servants are not. And so every, I think it's every week, the Northcott family does this thing called bread day where they will make bread for all the families that work with them. So like all the servants, all the staff, they will make bread to make sure that they're still fed for it. And if they're sick, they still have food. And Lady Northcott loves this. 
And it's like, it's such a good day for them. And so Hollis is like, what's bread day? And Scarlet's like, well, we'll show you. So they go and they all just make bread and they're living their best lives. The Northcots and Eastoffs are doing it pretty well. Scarlet doesn't do as well, but she's just happy to be there and to be involved. Hollis isn't doing a great job. And ever since they arrived at the Northcott estate, E has been very eyes on Hollis, wouldn't let her out of his sight, was very much watching her like a hawk because he didn't trust her. So she feels very, not creeped out, just annoyed that she's not trusted enough by this dude. And on top of that, when she's trying to make bread, he's making fun of her. And then the cook, I think her name was Enid, is very mean to her. She's very closed off. And every time Hollis asks for help, she's kind of like gruff with her. And in the book, Hollis describes Enid's hands as one of like the biggest hands she's ever seen. She's like, they look like man's hands. They're bigger than any hands I'd ever seen before. So they're making bread and she's getting made fun of by the kitchen staff and by E. And the other people are trying to include her because they want her to be part of the family, of course. And she just doesn't feel like she belongs. Even though she wants to, she just feels very much like she's hated. So she ends up leaving the kitchen while they were making it. And she goes and she sits in a room and then she realizes, no, I'm not going to let these people control my mood for the day or control what I do or don't with this family. She wants to be part of the family, basically. She wants to be included and she's not going to let some random people tell her she can't be part of it. So she goes back to the kitchen and she starts making bread. And like she walks up to Enid and she's like, I know you don't like me, but help me figure it out. And she's like, okay. And so they're making the bread and E, I don't remember what started the conversation, but E ends up bringing up that it's his father's birthday and that he didn't want to make a fuss, didn't want to make a celebration. And Hollis being true to her character and personality, someone who loves to celebrate people, she's like, why don't we make a cake for him? Why don't we make some sweets for him? And so she turns to Enid and she's like, I know you don't like me, but we're doing this. And so they make cakes and then they go to dinner. And at dinner, whenever Lord Northcott walks in, he sees that everyone's waiting to surprise him and celebrate him. And he tries to play it off like he's like, oh, you guys weren't supposed to do this. I told you don't celebrate. We weren't going to do this. But he's like, he's excited. He's happy that someone did it. And so everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's having a great time. And E is sitting off in a corner and he's kind of pouting. And he still very much gets on my nerves at this point, but it's okay. Again, it resolves itself in a little bit. So they're celebrating, and then discussion arises, and E kind of starts to insult Karoa. And while Hollis is kind of over everything going on in Karoa, it's still part of who she is. It's part of her heritage. She grew up there. So she's like, yo, knock it off. That's my home. Why would you say that about this? And they start arguing and saying bad things about each other's homes. And at the end, Hollis ends up being like, I've never said this to a single person, but I hate you. And E comes back and is like, well, I've said it to far too many people and I hate you too. And so Hollis ends up running and she goes to her room and she cries. And in the book, she's like, I'm glad I was able to hold back my tears until I got to my room to keep it hidden from him. And she cries. And that night she decides she wants to try and run away and go back home to Karoa because she thinks it would be better for her. It won't be, but we find this out very shortly. So she ends up waiting until everyone's asleep and everyone's lights are turned off and everyone's in their room so they can't hear or see her. And she leaves and she goes out through the kitchen and she tells the kitchen maid that's in there, do not say anything about this. I'm leaving and you will not repeat this to anyone, please. 
So if you remember, she brought her horse with her to Isolte when she ran to catch up to E and the family when they were leaving in the last book. So she goes out, her horse's name is Madge, and she goes, we're going to find a saddle, we're leaving Madge. She starts riding off, and when she gets to a certain point, I don't remember if she heard or if she turned around and saw someone riding behind her, and she's like, if I try to get off the path, they're going to follow me, they already see me, of course. She just kind of decides she's going to keep going, she won't stop, and that's when the figure gets closer to her, and it turns out to be E, and he's like, you can't run away. And she's like, why not? You hate me. You don't want me here. And I hate being here because you bring down my vibe so much, basically. And he's like, well, the people in my household have not been this happy. And ever since you have arrived, everyone's been smiling. And even my dad is living his best life because you decided to celebrate his birthday. So E basically starts to recognize that Hollis, while she may not be his favorite person, she's still a good person for his family and they still enjoy having her around and she is someone who naturally lights up the room so he's like okay you can stay and as they ride home they kind of come up with an agreement where they're not gonna talk to each other they're gonna kind of avoid each other if they can because they don't want to argue they don't want to cause any pain between people because one thing that Hollis regretted as she was leaving the dinner that night was that she caused so much argument in a happy family and she didn't want to have that kind of burden on her. So that's one of the main reasons she left. So they agree that they're going to just ignore each other. They're going to stay as far away from each other. And they're just going to not acknowledge each other's existence until the next day. So the two get back home. And they both come up with excuses as to why they're tired. And she's really hoping. Hollis is sitting here like, I hope nobody connects that we are both tired. And Scarlet, ever the observant girl, is like making like little, her face made a remark basically. And she kind of was like putting pieces together, but nothing happens yet. So they sit down and Lord Northcott says they've been summoned to the castle. And this isn't Kirskin Castle in Karoa. This is Chetwin Palace, which is the place where King Quentin and Queen Valentina live. With, I mentioned kind of a character last episode. King Quentin has a son named Prince Hadrian. And he is from his first wife, Vera, but Vera's dead, which is why he remarried Valentina. So they're sitting in Lord Northcott's place, and, or the Northcott place, and he says, we've been summoned to Chetwin Palace and because Hadrian and another person are getting married. And they're starting to build the next line of royals for this place. So they're expected to go to the palace and attend the wedding and the celebration. Lord Northcott tells the family we need to present a united front. We need to show that we are together and show that even though something really terrible has happened to our family, we're still together and strong. Now, if you remember, E and Hollis stay fighting. They do not like each other. Well, Lord Northcott knows this and he goes, Ethan, you will, es no, E, you will escort Hollis to everything we go to and you will be basically her like, man, I guess you would say, for this party. And the way that Hollis and E both react is very funny to me. I, they were they looked at each other, and it was like game over. They both knew they had to behave, but they were both very much like, I don't want to do this. So they prepare for that. Oh, also, I meant to say something. 
So basically, the reason that all of the servants and workers in the Northcott estate were being so rude toward Hollis was because E had told them to be mean. And when they got back that night after having, or when they got back after Hollis tried to run away, they had that whole conversation. He told everyone who worked that they were going to refill Hollis's cups when she asked. They were going to help her get fires started in her room because he had basically, I'm assuming this is what it meant, he had basically told them that they weren't to help her with anything. So they were kind of going away from their animosity at this point when they agreed that they weren't going to acknowledge each other anymore. When Lord Northcott was like, yo, you're going to escort her everywhere, he was like, man. And Hollis was like, well, there goes that plan. So now they're prepping to go to Chetwin Palace and endure the festivities that King Quentin has for them which is a whole thing in and of itself and I think this little celebration takes place over the span of three days the first day they get there and it's just like the arrival thing where they introduce themselves to the king and acknowledge that they're there he the king acknowledges that they're there too and they pay their respects and all of that so they walk in and if you remember from book one Hollis was very close to becoming queen for Karoa and Isolte royalty had come and they had to host Isolte people. So Hollis was tasked with building relationships with Queen Valentina, who is King Quentin's wife. And so she and Valentina are close and they were so excited to see each other again. And Quentin remembered her, obviously, because she's this big old light that fills the room. And Quentin recognized her and was like, what is King Jameson's wife doing here? or supposed to be bride whatever doing here and she's like I got married to Eastoff and they introduced her as I don't remember if it was Lady Eastoff because technically that's still the mother-in-law but I don't know I don't know how that worked but I think they did introduce her as Silas's late wife Lady Eastoff or not late wife widowed wife Lady Eastoff and so something about that, Lady Eastoff, the mother, was introduced as widowed Eastoff, and she was so sad. And when Hollis got called a widow, she realized why, because it feels like they're stripping everything away from them. And so she was kind of really sad whenever they called her a widow, because she's still kind of overcoming the trauma of her husband being dead. That's something I don't know if she ever will fully get over. So she's been called a widow, and they get into the party, and they go and they... I don't remember if they went to their rooms first, or if they went to dinner first. I want to say they went to their rooms first. And something about E is, while he's very rude to Hollis as a person, he is like... He knows how to play the court, basically. He knows how to make friends with people. Everyone knows who he is, and they love him. They love him as a person. They love his character. And this is because, as I said earlier, all of King Quentin's ancestors' siblings are being killed off. Their siblings' families, basically, are being killed off. So all of Quentin's possible usurpers of his throne are being cut out of the world because he wants to make sure that he can keep the throne to himself because he doesn't want to give it up because he's a terrible person. That's the tea. Part of the rise and part of one of the biggest problems when it came to Silas was... Silas was apparently this big shot at becoming the next king because he was such a good person. And we learned that throughout the rest of the story that they were prepping the children and trying to teach them that, hey, if this happens, one of you is going to be the ruler. And you have to know that because the Eastoff family was second to, or was above the Northcott family in line of succession for the throne. 
but with all the men gone, it kind of, it's weird. Whole royalty thing, you know? So, Silas was the next thought to be king, but with him dead, E is now the next thought to be king, and everyone supports him, which comes into play later, too. So, he's very good at playing the court. He has friends everywhere, obviously. He's built the connections he needed to to make it through court. And I meant to mention, I meant to mention this earlier, but he was also flirty with Enid, the kitchen staff, because he just has really friendly relationships with all these people. And this was something that was super mind-boggling to Hollis because she's like, he's been so rude to me. Because he really has. He's basically bullied her the entire time they've known each other. So it's a whole thing. And she's, the entire time he's working the court and, you know, carrying on his relationships and all of that, she's like, I didn't know this was something that could come from him. Like, how is this a possibility? It's a whole thing. So they go and they get in their room and they start preparing that night for the dinner. Or they start preparing for the dinner that night. Sorry, I got my words mixed up. So they start getting dressed and Lord Northcott and Lady Eastoff are both known to be um, kind of conspirators, if you will. They make plans and stuff, basically. That's what Lady Northcott was telling Hollis when they first arrived at the Northcott place. So they've been making plans, and Lord Northcott is like, tonight is about finding information and make like finding people to support us and spreading things around, because something else I forgot to mention. So I think they did end up going and eating dinner first, and they found out that nobody in the Kingdom of Isletae knew that the Esau family had been slaughtered. Nobody knew anything about it. Whenever they were going through the border at the beginning of the book with E, nobody mentioned anything about it to him. And Hollis found it weird, and she brought that up. And so that was something they were trying to figure out. And King Quentin further confirms that they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know that Eustaw family was dead. And Hollis is thinking that's him just putting on a mask. We find out later it's not, though. So they have no idea that the Eustaw family was killed. And so everyone kind of pities them. And they're trying to find out more information about why they wouldn't know that. So the Eastoff and Northcott clan are going through and they decide that night, or everything throughout the entire couple of days for this wedding, their goal is to gather information relating to anything that could help them prove that King Quentin was behind it so they can get King Quentin out of the throne and put someone who rightfully deserves it into the throne. So... They're going through the party, and it comes time for dinner. And at dinner, the king... Or, okay, sorry. At dinner, people bust up into the great room, and they're like, King Quentin, we have information for you. And what had happened was that the Koroa... Sorry. What had happened was that Koroa's soldiers were starting fights at the border between Isolte and Koroa, and they were causing... They, like, killed people. And so... King Quentin gets angry and goes, where's the girl? And Hollis immediately knew he was talking about her. She was like, oh, good Lord. And she stands up and goes, you, stand on the bench so we can see you. So she literally stands in her seat so he can see her. And E, e is sitting there and staring at her. And he's like, it's going to be okay. Because as they're spending more time together, their relationship's getting better. So he's like, it's fine. You'll be fine. And... King Quentin is like, do you know what's going on? And she's like, I have no idea. So something that was found out by the Isolte guards and the whole entire army was that King Jameson 
is losing his mind. He's doing crazy things and killing people and like a bunch of crazy stuff is going on right now because he misses Hollis and she's like, oh good lord, now she has the possibility for something really bad to happen to her because she is in basically enemy territory and she's about to get blamed. She thinks she's about to get blamed for this. And he's like, I could kill you and I could just send you back. And that could be a, you know, warning. Hey, don't do stuff like that. And she's like, no, no, no. And he's like, what would you have me do? And she very, like, scaredly starts to look around. And she looks at E and he's like, you're going to be okay. I'm here. And so she goes, you could give them that land they're arguing about. And this, like, when I read that, I'm like, oh, good Lord, she's going to die. What's going to happen? And so everyone starts getting angry. The crowd gets really mad. And King Quentin starts laughing. And he's like, I've never thought of that. And he's like, sit down, girl. Everyone get back to party. This is not to talk about politics and anything like that. And he invites the two guards that ran in to join the party festivities and all of that. So she sits down and E looks at her. And he, throughout this book, he, okay, him as a person is whenever... Whenever Hollis would say something, he would just kind of shake his head and be like, whatever, because he was wrong and she was proving him wrong and he didn't like to be wrong, which me too, dude. I feel that on a personal level. So Hollis consistently did stuff that was like amazing to him. If this is foreshadowing anything, I implore you to use your imagination on what's going to happen between these two. <laughs> Sorry. So he's looking at her. He's like, that was a genius idea. Lord Northcott's like, good job, good suggestion. And so they go throughout the rest of the party and Hollis decides she needs a break because she's overwhelmed because she just had to stand in front of all of these people and talk about that. So her and Scarlet leave and they go take a break and rest for a little bit before, I think this was the end of the night. So they just leave whatever the festivity it is they were doing early and they go rest for the next day, which was going to be a tournament. And if you remember from book one, Hollis had to help host that with King Jameson and Karoa. And Silas was the person she gave her favor to. And so at this point, she doesn't think there's anyone she's going to give anything to, like a handkerchief to wish them luck or anything, because she's not connected with anyone. And she's just kind of, after what happened at dinner that night, she's like, mm, I don't know how well this is going to work. So they're at the, oh, I forgot something. Okay, so sorry. So... After Hollis left, everyone stayed at the dinner that night, and then they came back, and they came up with a new plan. And at the tournament, they were going to find a way to get a letter to Queen Valentina and ask her to find even more proof that will fully push the claims against King Quentin and push him to not be allowed to be king anymore. And so they come up with a plan that she's going to find a way to get a letter to him, basically. And so at the tournament the next day, she's nervous about having to go up to the royal box and try and give them information or give Queen Valentina something and that's going to make her turn against King Quentin, basically. And she's also kind of like, this is my first real event that I've had to go to in Isletay and experience and I'm not married. So this goes back to the favor thing. She's getting her favor because Scarlet's like, just take one in case. You never know what's going to happen. It's something they do. It's what the ladies did in the court whenever something like this happened. So they're sitting and they're waiting for the event to start and someone starts riding out in front of her. And he sticks the sword thingy that they use. I forgot the word. Sorry. And he sticks it in her face. And she's like, sorry. And Scarlet leans over and like, that's E. And 
Hollis realizes she's like, oh, he wants my favor. So she ties her little handkerchief on the javelin. That's the word. Sorry. It just came to mind. Is it? I don't know what it's called. So sorry. Anyway, she puts it on the thing he put in her face. And so he goes and he rides off. And he puts it in his pocket, which she doesn't find out until later. But he puts it in his pocket and keeps it. So then the tournament begins. And um, Hollis asks Scarlet, has he ever won anything? And Scarlet replies with no, because he hasn't won a tournament before. And she goes, oh great, this is going to go so well. And so at this point, Scarlet, nope. At this point, Hollis and E's relationship has gotten closer. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. They're starting to fall in love. And Hollis is in denial about this. So she's like, I just don't want him to get hurt because she's trying to be supportive because she's... So, okay, I'm going to just pause right here and say this was weird to me because she considers them family, but she's starting to fall in love with them. And obviously there's no blood relation. And I do support this relationship. I will be right out and say that. I love them and it's great. But I also, for a little bit, found it weird because I'm like, how are you going to call him your cousin and then also end up with him? I'm like, that's so weird. But anyway, that was a big spoiler, but the story's cute too, so we'll keep going. Anyway, E is out on the field, and he's about to do the jousting thingy, and he's on the horse, and he's riding, and she's freaking out. In the end, he ends up winning the entire thing, and Scarlet told her before this, he's never won it. He's maybe won one or two matches before, but he has never won the whole thing like he did with this. So everyone's excited and everyone's celebrating, and he comes back to the family, and um, Lord Northcott's like, what a way to be back in the town, and be back in the king's sight, and he's like, I figured if we're gonna do this, it has to be with a bang, so, you know, they're trying, they're basically only confirming that they are trying to usurp the throne from King Quentin, because they are, which, good, I'm excited for it, so after that, it's time to go back, and they get ready for an, oh, no, I'm so sorry, so, during the joust, I don't remember if it was before or after, but during this tournament, at one point, Hollis goes up to the royal box, and she's like, it's good to see you trying to be friendly with King Quentin, and he says some snarky remark that was so bad, I just can't remember it, it's great, don't like his character, Ugh. But she turns to Queen Valentina, and she hands her a handkerchief, and if you remember from a second ago, they're trying to get a note to her so that Queen Valentina can find information, and so Hollis gives her a handkerchief, and it has the note in it, and whenever they leave the tournament, they're, Hollis is scared that she dropped it or she didn't read it, but she went and looked around the area, and Queen Valentina still had the letter, is what was the assumption on the family. So they go back to their room, and they start prepping for kind of a party, I guess you would call it, just to celebrate the soon-to-be husband and wife, Prince Hadrian, and the girl's name is Princess Penelope, and she's from a different kingdom. So they're celebrating the party, and they go, well, they're not celebrating yet, so they're getting ready to go celebrate at the party. And Hollis is getting dressed, and she fixes her hair like Delia Grace used to fix it from the first book, if you remember her character. And she decides that night she wants to wear a dress from Karoa. She doesn't want to keep wearing the Isoltae, uh, like, traditional clothing. So she wears one of her old dresses, and she looks beautiful in the book. They're like, you look great. So her and Scarlet are getting ready together, and she tells Scarlet, I just want to look like myself and feel like myself for once after this long time. And Scarlet's like, I'm here for it. Go off, queen. So they're getting ready, and then they, they walk out of the room. 
And when they walk out of the room, he looks at Hollis and like falls in love. I call this the moment when he truly realized that he was in love with her. And so, if you remember, they're very, kind of, they pick on each other. They're very flirty. I, I immediately thought this when they first met, even though I wanted her to end up with Silas. They're very flirty, and I love it. I live for that. So, that was fun for me. But he starts teasing her about it, and he's like, wow, you really do know how to get dressed. And she's like, well, look at you. You fixed your hair. And they're, like, being very snarky with one another. And they're smiling, and they're falling in love. Young love. It's beautiful. So then they make it to the party. And this is when Hollis fully realizes how well-liked he is in the court. And so they walk in, and every single lady of that court comes up to E, and he's like, or they're all like, look at me, talk to me, and they're trying to get his attention. And so Hollis decides, mm, I'm going to take a step back, because this is a little too much for me. And when they got there, so they were still assuming that Queen Valentina got the letter, and that she was going to talk to Hollis. And when they got there, Queen Valentina wasn't there. So Hollis was kind of having a mini panic and flipping out, and so she's having that going on, and she's got a little bit of jealousy going on because E is being flaunted over by all these girls. And it was very warm in the room, so she decides she's going to go outside and take a breath. So she does, and she walks outside, and she's over there. She's sitting in a clear open area, and that's when E walks out, and he's like, are you okay? And she starts flipping out, and she starts spilling all of how she's feeling in this moment. And E tries to, like, build her up and make her feel better about herself. And they start arguing like they usually do. And in the middle of the argument, the faded kiss happens. And he leans in and kisses her. And she's in shock, but she realizes, oh, I love him too. So this is where she realized she was in love. And she couldn't act on the, or she didn't think she could act on the feeling, which we'll get into that into a, in a minute. But she pulls back. And they're kind of like in a daze. That's what it says in the book. So she's sitting there and he's sitting there. They don't want to leave each other. But she's like, I need to go inside and see if Queen Valentina's in there because we need this. And he says, yeah, you're right. So he goes, you go on. I'll head in in a couple minutes. So they do. They do that. And when Hollis gets in there, lo and behold, there's our bestie, Queen Valentina. And she nods at her. And at some point, they end up going and talking. And she goes, I found some stuff, wear Iselton sleeves tomorrow. Because it's like letters that are fully confirming everything they thought or they're hoping. She didn't read them or like, if she did, she didn't tell Hollis anything that was in them. So Hollis is like, cool, bet. And they start partying again. And E ends up asking her to dance and they dance and they're falling in love. And afterwards, Hollis and Scarlett end up leaving and they go back to the room, and after the kiss happened, I think Hollis might have left a little bit earlier because Scarlett was talking to someone who was falling in love with her. There's a lot of love going on in this book. And so Hollis leaves, and she goes, and she gets ready for bed, and she's laying there, and Scarlett comes in, and she basically, they talk for a little bit, and Scarlett goes, you know he loves you, right? And she's like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, you just don't see it. Scarlet's full team, full on for Hollis and E falling in love and getting together. And basically, Hollis's fear is that nobody's going to support the relationship since she had been with Silas. But it's it's confirmed after this that both Scarlet and Lady Eastoff are totally okay with it. They want her to be happy. And one of the things that Scarlet said was the plan was made with Silas dying 
that you would live and not sit here and be sad and miss him, but you would go and live life. And you're really going to sit here and pass up a relationship. And when Hollis hears that, she realizes, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I think she's starting to finally let down the walls of the, oh, I can't date anyone because my husband is dead. And she has, she reminds herself it was only for an hour. And while she was in love with him, she just keeps that in mind as she's trying to build a relationship with E. So after that, they go to bed, and they wake up the next day, and it's, I think this is wedding day. So they're prepared, and Hollis is getting dressed in the dress that, or in the kind of dress that Queen Valentina told her to, and they know what's going to happen. They, like, the family knows that she's going to get stuff from them. So they go, and the wedding happens. They move through it quickly, because Prince Hadrian is, like, deathly sick, is literally dying, basically. And King Quentin's just trying to get people to get it, trying to get him to get married so he can produce an heir. So they're getting married. The wedding goes on real quick, and the royal family from Isolte walks, and they're ready to greet people as they leave. And the reception doesn't happen yet. So they're walking out, and the way it's lined up is... King Quentin, the newlywed couple, and at the end is Queen Valentina. So they all talk, they say goodbye, they wish their well wishes on the happy couple, and they start walking on, and Hollis gets to Queen Valentina, and she gives her the documents. And so after this, Hollis walks off, and she goes and locks it up in the room, and then she comes back, and they're celebrating, and they're having fun at this party, and Hollis and E dance again, only further falling in love, and after, well, when she got back from putting the documents in the room, she gave subtle nods to everyone who knew what was going on, so her family, and so then they go, and they party, and they celebrate. So they're dancing, having fun, and then they leave, and they go back to their room, because the party's over, and when they get back, that's when they read the letters, and it has absolutely everything they needed to pin down King Quentin as a murderer, um, it doesn't show that they that he was the one to kill the Eastoff family, but they were still so, like, he killed all these other families, so this is enough to make him not be king anymore. So when they realize this, the hard discussion that that family has been waiting for happens, and so with the Eastoff daughter, Scarlet, is the next technical person in line for the throne because she is from the older sibling that is still alive. And when they asked her, she said, no, that's not what I want with my life. And so then they turned to E and he says, are you sure? And she's like, yes, I do not want that. And I will happily let you be king. And he's like, okay. And he takes this sword that's a family heirloom from the original brother. And Lord, East, no, Lord Northcott hands it to him. And he's like, I, er, whenever he receives the sword, E goes, what do I do now? And Lord Northcott says, go home and get our army and come back so we can nail the king and you can be king now. So he does that. And the entire time E is gone, Hollis is freaking out. And again, Scarlet has to go and reassure her, if you love him, please go be with him. So I think in this time she decides she's okay and she's ready to move on and be with him. So E comes back. And he has a huge army with him. And it's a surprise to E specifically. Nobody else. Well, E and uh, Hollis, but nobody else other than that. So he comes up and when he gets to the family, he looks at Lord Northcott and Hollis and he's like, they, they actually came. They actually wanted to be in the army. 
And Lord Northcott knew. He knew it was going to happen. He's like, absolutely. And Hollis, at this point, in love, she's like, it's only natural. So this is the point in the story where they start to walk up into the king's room. And every time they pass a guard, they're like, you have two options. You can die because we'll kill you because you'll try to fight us. Or you can join us. And if you remember, King Quentin is scary. He's not a nice person and everyone is terrified of him. But they're also super mad with him. They just don't like him. He's not a good person. So a lot of the guards choose to join the army that's behind E. And some of them just run away. So they make their way and they get into the king's room. And when they enter the king's room, they see princess or they see the princess that Prince Hadrian married and King Quentin sitting there talking. And they're like, you are under arrest for crimes against your people. And I'm here to claim my throne. This is E talking. And prin- the princess is standing there and she's like, the throne goes to prince hadrian's heir and the princess or actually it's just a prince hadrian's heir and after that um king quentin is like well lucky for your claim hadrian died this morning so this is morning time E has come back and it's morning time and they found out that prince hadrian is dead so now E has rightful claim to the throne so they arrest him and they take him down to where the people of isolate are standing and uh, e ends up reading everything they find in the documents and accusing him of all of this, and they get to the death of the Eastoff family, and y'all, the plot twist. Are y'all ready for this? It's so my mind was blown. It turns out that King Quentin did not enlist for the Eastoff family to be murdered, and Hollis is sitting here like, you had to have, and when whenever King Quentin is asked, well, who did it? or do you know who did it, he turns and he nods his head to Hollis, and she's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what happened. Basically, King Quentin is like, well, who would have done something like this for you? And this is when it hits Hollis like a truck. She's like, oh my gosh, King Jameson killed Silas. And this is when Scarlet remembers, oh my gosh, something that stuck out to me from this was the people or the person who grabbed me and threw me out of the house was wearing one of the Karoa nobleman rings. And so she realized, Hollis hears this and she realizes they thought that Scarlet was Hollis because they had similar hair colors because the people of Karoa tend to be brunette and the people from Isletay are blonde. So she, Hollis is blonde and Scarlet has very similar hair color to her. So the person who threw her out had the ring on And Hollis is fuming at this point. She's so mad, but she's also shocked. And she's angry at Jameson, rightfully so. And after that, um, he's like, I didn't kill him. I can admit to killing everyone else, but I did not kill your husband and their family. So after after King Quentin says that, he is like, you're no longer king. And so the crowd of people try to tell E to kill him. And he, he's trying to be a just king. He doesn't want there to be anger or hate like it was with Quentin. So he's like, this man will have a fair trial and will invite people as witnesses or whatever from different kingdoms to make sure he will not be king. And after that, he gets given the crown and he is now King Eton of Isletay. 
So now, as soon as this is done, Hollis is on a horse and she's booking it back to Karoa. And she's angry because James Jameson did this. She's like, how could he? I mean, obviously he was going to. And then she realized poor Delia Grace is going to be hurt whenever we get back and find out that he's bad. And so she's like booking it there and she's freaking out and she's mad. And then she hears someone yell Hollis. And so while she was riding, she realized she doesn't have proof. She's just going on the word of a king who just got dethroned for being a bad dude and killing people. And all she has is what he told her. And she hears someone yelling her name and she turns around. And who other than the king, the new king of Isolte, is following her? And she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I was following you. And she's like, why did you bring your people? And he's like, I just kind of told them where I was going. And they followed him because that's just how loyal the people already were to E. So they decide they're going to go and they're going to basically try and get uh, King Jameson off of the throne. So they get to the border and the Karoa border people are like, you can only take 10 people. And this is when Hollis kind of brings in her past training and she's like 100 and they're like 20 and she goes 50. And so they take 50 of Isolte's soldier plus the new king and Hollis and they go in and they make it to the uh, Kirsten castle and they get there and they're like, you can, you two are the only ones who can go in. And they're like, that's fine, whatever. So they go in and Hollis immediately is, she's filled with a lot of stress. And so E is there and he's like, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you through this because they're in love now. Of course, he's going to help her through it. So they walk through the door and Jameson sees her and he goes, is that my Hollis? And she, she plays nice for a second. She's like, I'm back, whatever. And Delia Grace, um, I don't remember if I touched on this in the last episode, but Delia Grace wanted to be queen and she wanted Jameson for herself. So she ended up, after Hollis left, Delia Grace kind of became Hall, or Jameson's new boo thing. And so she was under the impression she would be queen now. But as soon as Jameson saw Hollis, Delia Grace, like she had been laughing and she was crying now. And so Hollis starts and she goes, I know what you did. And he's like, what What I did? What do you mean? And he's playing dumb. And this is when I got so mad at myself personally. I was sitting there like, how could I give him a redemption arc? Because he's a dirtbag. How dare he? So she goes, I know you killed my family. You're a murderer. And he's like, I did not. And you have no proof of it. And while you're claiming that I did something bad and that I committed a crime, I have paper proof that you committed a crime. And so I know I talked about the way that marriage worked in Karoa in the last episode, but there are some things that can happen that are out of people's control. And basically what has happened now is that before, like, I think this was the day of crowning day in the last book. That day, Hollis's parents signed a little agreement between her and the king that they were married. So they were married by law on paper on crowning day and Hollis is like oh my gosh so in the land of Karoa marriage laws are the top laws if you break them it's so bad so the king is now like well you broke this so I can send you to jail and he starts bossing her around because he thinks he controls her and he looks at Delia Grace and he's like you can go now and he's like Hollis come up here now you are a part of you are my wife basically and she's like I don't want to be married to you and he said I don't care what you want you're mine he's kind of that man who's like if I can't have her no one can that's where my brain went in this moment 
So he tells her to get up there, and she's like, I'm not. And E is like, I don't understand why she would want to with the way you just treated that girl who walked off. And she just kind of deserves better because he's standing up for his new boo thing. So King Jameson goes, bring me my sword. And he bring they bring him the sword, and he takes it out. And he ends up, he stands up in anger because Hollis tells him no. And he drops the sword. But it's also, fun fact, it's the sword that Silas made and gave him in the first book. And I was like, that dude is so annoying. I was so mad right now. And so the sword ends up falling. It lands on the hilt and he falls into the sword and he dies. And so I'm like, yay, he's gone now. Hollis can go live happily ever after. Wrong. Are y'all ready for this? Because she was married on paper by law. She is the new queen of Karoa. And something she had been saying throughout this entire book is she would not go back to the crown. She didn't want the burden of being a ruler. She didn't want to have to deal with court politics and all of that. She just wanted to live a simple life after everything that happened in the first book. And so she is now queen of Karoa, and she's like, oh my gosh. And then the moment hits, and I'm so sad at this point because I'm like, this girl just needs a boyfriend at this point. She just needs her boo thing. She's fallen in love once. And that one died. And now she's fallen in love again. But he has to leave because he's king of his own kingdom. And so Hollis ends up agreeing to be queen. And the so this book had a part where it skipped three months ahead of what just happened. So the book or that the first part of this before three months later, um, she ends with accepting the crown and becoming the new queen. So then we pick up three months later, and they're preparing for the new king of Isolte to come, so E is coming, and she's so excited, and so he shows up. Oh, okay, I kind of skipped an important detail. So one of the things when becoming a ruler is carrying on your lineage, carrying on your line. So she has to get married to a new dude. Um, she has to basically find her new boo thing, which she's still so madly in love with E that this is a whole problem for her. And E is facing similar problems in Isolte, so she knows that whenever he comes back, he's going to have his new girlfriend, and she has a new boyfriend. Well, boyfriend and girlfriend in terms of court language, I guess you would say. They're the new soon-to-be, the Hollis's dude was going to be consort, and the new soon-to-be queen of Isolte. So she is prepping to see him again, E again, because she loves him. And she wants this to be a great reunite, a renew, a great reuniting moment for the two of them. So she's getting ready, and they show up, and she chose to wear blue, and he shows up wearing red. And my little heart, I'm like, they're so cute. I love them so much. And so he shows up. He's there. And she goes down, and per usual with their personalities, they start picking on each other and making fun of one another, flirting up a storm. And so this meeting, the reason they were coming was so that they could define new laws between one another and new agree, new agreements because King Jameson and King Quentin didn't like each other. So it was hard to build a relationship and there was a lot of like past situations that were causing a lot of strain on the relationship between Karoa and Isoltae. So now that we have two people who are madly in love with each other, they're very easily able to make the laws. So they're hanging out, and there's a party, and um, at this party, the two of them are flirting up a storm, and before this, there had been a meeting, and 
the both of the people falling for the new king and queens that were going to be the consort and the new queen, they've started to realize that they're in love. Like, it's something that's so obvious to everyone around them. And they those two are just refusing to acknowledge it because they, they think that it, it can never happen. Well, there's a party, and Hollis and him are falling even more in love. They're basically meant for each other at this point. And that night, both the consort and the new queen possibilities end up running away together because they were they didn't they they understood each other's position and they both didn't want to be part of it and they both found found kind of like a common interest between the two of them so they ran off and fell in love and so after the party that night this was before Hollis knew they ran away um Hollis left crying because she was so sad that she was not going to be able to end up with this man she loved and Scarlet was there and she's like I know you love him and Queen Valentina no not queen she's not queen anymore so sorry Valentina's still there and she's like I or I don't remember who suggested the idea but it was genius so she's she Hollis ends up grabbing her mother, her sister, Nora, if you remember from the first book, and Valentina, and grabbing a whole bunch of old documents and books and scanning through to find a law to find a way if they could get married, because she cannot imagine life without this man. So I'm like, go off, get your man, I'm so excited. And they finally find something, and when they find it, she's like, okay, I have to go now. Valentina gets her all nice and dressed up, she's very ready. And she goes to talk to the man who was going to be her husband, and he's run away. This is when they find the notes. He ran away because he realized that she was never going to love him, and he wanted to marry for love. And so she goes, and she's like, well, that was easy. I'll send him my regards later. So she goes to E's room, where he's staying in Karoa, and he's, like, staring at a letter. He's sad, and he's like, well, my wife just, or my soon-to-be wife just ran away, and she's like, well, I think I know where he may have gone, or where she may have gone, and he's like, what? I'm like, well, and she's, she's like, well, my dude just ran away too, so now they're both like, whoa, and he said, well, I don't know what I'm gonna do now. I should have done better, and she's like, N or he goes, the next best, the best options for us for our kingdom just both ran away what are we gonna do and she's like no they didn't and he's like what and she's like we found a law so they decide they're each gonna give each other the land they were on and then they get married and that's where the book ends they're happily getting married and they're in love and the closing remark from E is that I guess we're gonna have to start wearing purple now and I was like oh my gosh this is so cute so if you couldn't tell, we're done with the story now. It ends with them being happily in love, and they're now both king and queen of the entire area of Karoa and Isolte combined. So they're kind of expanding the country. It's great. So this book, I very much prefer to the first book. This one, which, I mean, I liked the first book. I'm not going to bash on that one. The betrothed was good, and it was necessary to lay away for the betrayed. And I just really, really, really love this book. And I love that... I don't know. I feel like in the first book, I thought that something was going to happen. I never would have guessed that Silas was going to get killed. But after he did and E came back into the story, I'm like, I bet they fall in love. Like, I know that's weird and that's very, I feel like that was out of pocket for a guess. But I felt like they were going to fall in love. And for a little bit at the beginning of this book, when they were always arguing and he was telling her how much he hated her and they were hating each other, I was like, they're not going to fall in love. Something's going to happen. But they ended up getting, like, they're going to get married now. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. If she wrote a third book about 
anything, like maybe some, just a little peek, just a little sneak peek into their wedding or something, I would be down for it. I just, I don't know. This book was really good, and I'm very excited that I finally read a series I bought. I was like, I have had these books for like a year and a half, and I never finished them. So I would 100% recommend this series. It's a just it's a duology. It's just two books. Each book is the first one's a little over 300 pages. This one, the second one was like just below 300. So they're not long books at all. They're very easy reads for me. And again, I love Kiara Cass as an author. My favorite series ever was The Selection. And you can tell that it was her who wrote it. And I love the way she writes stories because I'm a hopeless romantic. So The Selection and the series are both very romantic-filled. So if you like romance, this is a good series. And this also reminded me of another book series I read a couple years ago. Because it's not similar in any way, but it was just the way the characters were built into a relationship. It's that enemies to lover, if you know anything about that. It's definitely that trope that I love very much. So this book, I rated a solid 10 out of 10. I would rate The Betrothed a solid 8 out of 10, just because it did start slow, but it was still good. Still read it. I fully recommend the series to anyone and everyone who loves a good enemies to lovers romance even though the first book you wouldn't ever guess that that's what's gonna happen. My favorite part other than the romance was also the way that she did plot twists in a way because I was not expecting for Jameson to be the one who killed Silas and all of that. So I was like, dude, what the crap? I was so mad. Like, I don't think I felt rage like that in forever. So that was a fun little twist for me. And overall, this is a really good book and I do recommend it to anyone who loves romance. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening to this week's episode of Spoiler Alert. I'm your host, Emily Renshaw, and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Goodbye!